guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. Welcome to Mimosa Sisterhood, a podcast that celebrates women. What's up, friends? Welcome back to Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. This is your host, Melissa, and welcome back to the show where we pop bottles and celebrate women's stories, past and present. Today, I am coming at you with another Everyday Woman episode featuring the lovely Barbara Shelton. If you are a wino, and you're on Instagram, it's likely you've already crossed paths with Miss Barbara because she has the most lit wine Instagram page on the planet. Barbara is a wine enthusiast and a digital content creator that's based out of, you guessed it, wine country up in Northern California. And I, of course, stumbled upon her on the World Wide Web because I'm a wino. (laughs) And somehow we connected on Instagram. I've been following her page for years at this point. I am obsessed with all of her wine recommendations. And she also just has like the most gorgeous photos of wine country and her wine tasting. And it's like major FOMO, but also I'm living vicariously through her with each and every post. I am super humbled because Barbara is on the podcast today to share a very personal story about her life experience, and it's one that I very much relate to, and it's quite possible that you might too. And so if you've seen the title of this episode, then ding, ding, that's right. We're talking about unhealthy, toxic relationships and a lot of the red flags and warning signs that we're often very blind to in the beginning of a relationship due to those rose-colored glasses. I'm really happy that Barbara was interested in sharing her story with us today because one of the things that I learned about from Barbara in this episode was the term silent violence. I'd actually never heard that before and the minute that I heard it, I had this light bulb moment of like, holy shit, like I know what that means. Like I've experienced silent violence. And the thing is, you know, The majority of people, when they think of domestic violence, domestic abuse, they're really categorizing that as physical violence only. And the truth of the matter is domestic violence encompasses all of those silent, violent behavior patterns as well. And that includes verbal abuse, mental abuse, emotional, psychological, all of that like mental warfare That can sometimes happen in unhealthy relationships and can often be discredited as actual abuse. So I do want to give a quick trigger warning before we dive into today's episode to let you guys know in advance that we do discuss topics that include sexual assault, abuse, 
and suicide. So if you are not interested in hearing these kinds of things, I would maybe suggest skipping this episode. Um, But I will say this is a great episode. It's incredibly informative and it's a really, really great conversation between two adult women who have had some pretty terrible experiences in their dating life. And a lot of the times we don't talk about that stuff in our society because we're shameful of it or we haven't healed from it yet. And so I do think that there is a lot to gain from this. And I do think it's really important that we do speak up and share our stories to remind everybody else out there that they're not alone. And hopefully by sharing our stories, it can empower other people out there to feel a little more supported in what they've gone through. Also, we have a lot of fun in this episode. I mean, we laugh throughout like the entire thing and we have so much fun talking about wine, especially at the end of the episode. Barbara literally blows my fucking mind with this wine invention. So definitely suggest listening to the end so you can learn all about this wild shit I never even knew existed. All right, before we dive into it, I just wanted to give a couple of reminders. I still have my listener survey up and running, and I would absolutely love to get your feedback if you haven't submitted already. You can find that linked in the description section of this podcast episode, or it will also be in the link of my Instagram bio. But if you do have five minutes to spare, I would love to get all of your insight as a podcast listener in ways that I can either improve this show or also just a few tidbits on the things that you actually really love about this podcast. So it's totally 100% anonymous. So bring it the fuck on. Um, And it really is just a huge help in allowing me to continue pumping out episodes that you love and that I love. Also, I recently just posted two new items on the podcast shop. We now have a really cute canvas tote bag that features our beautiful cover art and also a laptop sleeve. That is so cute. I have been rocking both for the past month and I'm obsessed. So head over to mimosasisterhood.com and check out our new merchandise. All right. Well, that's it. Let's get into the show. Hello. Barbara, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to Mimosa Sisterhood. Hi, it's so nice to be here. I'm super excited. <laughs> Hello. It's wild because I feel like I've known you for a long time, but I've never chatted with you in this environment before. I pretty much just see what you're up to on the internet, and I watch all your cool videos, and I'm so jealous of all your awesome wine experiences. <laughs> and now we're in real life, sort of remotely from afar. And we're chatting on my podcast, and it's so cool. So thank you for coming on the show, being interested in coming on the show, and connecting with me in the real world, and also just for having a really awesome conversation with me on a Friday night with some vino in hand. So thanks. (laughs) Wine. It's key. (laughs) 
it's Friday night and I feel like I actually have plans. So this is cool. <laughs> this, I mean, this is plans. You know, you're having a little a girls night just virtually. Totally. Right? That's exactly what's happening. <laughs> so for everybody out there listening, Barbara is a, a wine expert. She is a wine connoisseur. That's how I see her every day online. <laughs> But I want you to kind of give everybody just like a quick little overview of like who you are, what you got going on, where you live, just a little summary about your life um, before we actually get into like the major meat and potatoes of your life story. All right. Well, you're sweet to say that you think I'm a wine connoisseur because I I really am not. (laughs) (laughs) I literally just go and have fun and just go to these wineries, go to these events. And I'm more so like the kind of person that just likes to be in the moment and do things. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime of doing that, though, I did get a little bit more knowledge of wine. <laughs> so lucky. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I mean, also living in wine country. Wine country kind of just does that to you. You're just automatically immersed into the whole industry and the lifestyle because it's literally all around you. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard not to be immersed into it. Like, <laughs> But um, I actually grew up in L.A., Santa Clarita area. Nice. So I'm a Southern California girl who moved Northern California. Don't we all? At some point, we all do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I wanted to live somewhere different, and I was hoping out of California, but Mm -hmm. it just didn't work that way. I met my husband, and then it's just like, he is from Northern California, so let's go try that out. (laughs) Yep. And I've always, like, I keep moving north, so I started in Santa Clarita, And then I moved to like Northridge, which is kind of not really north, but a little bit further. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Ventura, which is even more north. Isn't that kind of wine-ish too? Yeah, well, that's Santa Barbara. It was literally 30 minutes away from Ventura, and I loved it. Um, Wasn't a wine person yet. I was just getting into it. And then finally just made the leap and was like, yeah, I'm going to wine country. (laughs) It's beautiful out there. I was just in Sonoma County in September uh, for my friend's engagement party, and we had so much fun drinking all the vino and eating all the food and just being an adorable, the town square of Sonoma. We're just obsessed. My sister also lived in Petaluma for like 12 years, and eight of those years I was in San Francisco, so I got to like drive over and hang out with her in Petaluma, and we would go wine tasting every like what is it called? Like barrel tasting? Is it barrel tasting? Yes, which is actually happening. Gosh, I think it's in March. Yes. Yes. We went one year together um, and that was so much fun. So I, I got to experience like some of the fun of living in wine country without actually being there. Mm -hmm. And it was also amazing because I got to escape the like hectic chaos of the city and like actually have somewhere where I could like stay the night and like do all the fun things without just like being there for a couple hours. So I definitely fell in love with wine country over those years and I miss it. I'm also obsessed with Healdsburg. That's one of my other favorite Uh, places. I want to move there so badly. So badly. Like, it's my dream place to live. Yes. (laughs) And, like, spending the weekends on Russian River, like, Mm -hmm. rafting. Oh, my God. And I've been doing that the past, I think, three summers now. Really? I've been doing that just on the river the whole time. And I freaking... I'm a a river person. They call them river rats here. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So if you grow up in Guerneville or in, like, by the river, they call you a river rat. That's and so funny. I think I'm just like now, you know, an honorary river mm-hmm. rat since I didn't grow up by the river, but like I feel like I'm a river child. So, <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful area. And like, you're right though. It, how do you live up there and not just become immersed in the wine culture? You, you it's can't. like impossible. <laughs> yeah. 
if you're not going to immerse yourself into the wine culture, don't move here. I'm just yeah, kidding. Totally. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, the funny thing is, is that I'm not even in the wine industry. I'm actually a geologist. So really? yeah. Oh it, my God, that's so interesting. Yeah. And, and geology does kind of like go into wine. I did take some viticulture classes, which kind of tied geology into the whole wine industry thing. So it's, it's interesting. Everyone's all like, oh, so you work in the wine industry? It's like, oh, not really. I, I'm, a, I'm a geologist. <laughs> Um, if still you need to develop, like, yeah, like still like checking out the earth and things, yeah. right? <laughs> like if you want to develop a vineyard, I'm your girl. I can you know check out your soils and see what you got. <laughs> oh my god, have you ever thought about doing that? Like I have, yeah, really, I have. I haven't been able to yet because it, it does take a lot of connections for yeah. one, which my Instagram is helping me get, and then um, two, it's just like there's a lot to it. Like it's not just what I do in the because I work in geotechnology so I work in the construction field and I do all the soils tests for them it's pretty much like that but then it's different as at the same time so it's like there's a lot more information that you need to add to like reports when you develop a vineyard with uh, geology so I have a lot to learn still <laughs> well that would be really awesome future life goals yeah. if you had like a big old giant one of those big farms with all those vineyards and you're just like eating grapes off mm-hmm. of, oh my god <laughs> the life you have a couple goats like why not there you go. Chickens. oh my gosh yes oh that's yeah. my dream world well <laughs> if or when this happens for you keep me in mind in case oh i you will need, like some side help like i'll literally do anything <laughs> sounds great yeah i would i will definitely keep you in mind <laughs> cool um okay well what are you drinking i mean i must know what did oh, you yeah. decide to bring so, today i decided to drink tank uh garage winery whoop there we go um, it is, this one's called Kid Vicious and, and, um, we're wine club members to Tank Garage and it's a very, um, millennial, I guess, type winery. Yeah. They never have this, it's all blends. It's not just like a senior, single variety, like a Cabernet Sauvignon or a Syrah. It's a blend of all these different varieties and they get their grapes from different vineyards. So, um, it's always different. Like you do never, you never get the same blend. Once that blend is gone, it's gone for good. You're never going to get that blend again. So it's one of the best wine clubs I've ever been part of because like you're, you're part of a wine club, you get the same wine, you kind of get tired. It's like, yeah, I like it, but I'm not, I don't want it every month or I don't want it three times, you know, a year. Like, I don't want it shipped to me that much because I mean, I'm used to this taste now, but with, um, tank, it's always different and I love it. So this one in specific or in particular is a 69% Zinfandel, 13% Grenache, 12% Syrah, and 6 per- 6% Petite Syrah. Yeah, it's it. called, what was it called again? Kid Vicious. Okay, because I was like, Sid Vicious? And you're like, no, no Kid Vicious. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the funny thing is, is all their wines, too, are all like um the artwork. Like, they always uh-huh. have artwork on their bottles, and they're very, like, can we cuss on this? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay, they're, they have a very, like don't give a fuck attitude like they gave me a wine opener that says fuck off and it's gold and I love it (laughs) I mean that's how I feel every Friday (laughs) night when I open a bottle of wine it's like my week has ended fuck off get like I have emails still coming in right now at 6 p.m it's just like fuck off the wine has been opened (laughs) exactly and like and, and they're very like edgy and I love it and like their winery is actually in it's in Calistoga which is um in the Napa County area and it's just it's an old garage like literally a vintage garage. They have two like teal pumps in the front and it's a roll up and you just, you just drink and enjoy the wine. 
<laughs> that is so cool. So they get all different types of grape varietals delivered to this location and they make it there? No. Or they're just they, selling they, it out they, of there? They sell the it out of there. Okay, they, okay. I think they have like some kind of, I'm sure they have some kind of like working area where they're going to blend everything for their winemaker. But yeah, so where they sell it, where you can taste it, it's an old garage. And I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Um, on the back of their bar, it says lubrication station. <laughs> they have a great like creative director yeah, who's working oh, yeah. over there. All millennials. <laughs> yeah, right? It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's such a fun place. It's hard to get into, though, because they're always they always are packed with um, guests for tastings. And then one also like perk about being a wine club member there is um, they have a special room for you. And it's like a 1920s theme, like speakeasy like mm-hmm. looking thing. And I love it. Like, so you get to like say hello to the regular peeps as you like head into the speakeasy? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> nice. And like I don't always get to drink, like have a tasting while I'm there. So but but they do offer a glass of wine. So I can just go back to the speakeasy, enjoy my glass of wine and just like chill. So fun. Well, I am drinking from the good old faithful Trader Joe's, a new red wine that I haven't tried yet. I always go to Trader Joe's to get my wines because they're affordable and they're always really cute. Mm -hmm. And I liked this one. I picked it for our episode, which sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But I was like, because of like the con, like the focus of what our podcast episode today is going to be about, which the listeners will hear shortly, I felt like this illustration was just like meant for it. (laughs) So this bottle is called Liberté and there's just this like super regal, like strong ass bitch lady on the front that's just like, come at me fool. And like, she's not one to be messed with. (laughs) She has the same vibe as Tank. We're we're like, we're we're together on this. Hold on. There's her boyfriend. Oh my God. That is so cute. Actually, you need to like send me a picture of your bottle later. (laughs) I will. (laughs) We need to line them up like side by side and like just show this like fucking like dream team that we have tonight. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, this is a 2019 from Paso Robles, Cabernet, Liberté. And it's very good. I'm loving it. I think I paid like a solid $9 or something like that for it, which Mm -hmm. I'll be honest is actually a little high for me. (laughs) Because they have $7 and like $4. Yeah, like like, $3. Yeah. Even like lower than that. Yeah. I mean, that's where the Charles uh, Shaw came from, right? The two buck Chuck? Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say that you know anything about that. It could help your wine. You could really not help your wine career. (laughs) I mean, I shop at Trader Joe's. No shame. I love their wine. They have really good wine. Well, here we are. Podcast episode. So excited you're here. The premise of which we will be having a conversation tonight is particularly around relationships and not so good ones. <laughs> not the yeah. best. Not the best. Red flags. Red flag relationships. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is the craziest thing about life is that... You know, we don't ever know what people go through, like, especially in today's world where, you know, in the past, like people were on display, like their lives were on display. It's just like people lived and you saw them in passing or you called them on the phone to hang out. But like in the world we live in today, like everybody's life is pretty much on display and we think we know people, but we really don't know anything really about 
like the history and the background of their lives. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're constantly under like this pressure with social media and just like basically the culture that we live in today is to like always put our best foot forward and like show the best parts of our lives and our experiences and our relationships. But like there's so much other shit that happens behind closed doors that people don't talk about. They don't put on display and it makes sense why. Um, But I think it's important that we have those conversations because we need to normalize that life isn't always beautiful. It's not always rainbows and butterflies. And the more we talk about the hard things in life, it's easier for other people to talk about their hard things in life. And then nothing's taboo anymore. And like we can not only like be honest and vocal about our experiences, but we can be supportive and empathetic to like other people and compassionate. So I love being able to have people like yourself come on the podcast and talk about their lives because the story that you're going to be able to tell today is probably going to make a huge impact on our listeners. And there's going to be people out there that are so grateful to hear your story, to learn from you, to hear your perspective, to hear your tips, and to feel a little bit less alone and also a lot more comfortable in maybe like taking the courage to start talking about their own lives and the things they've gone through. So I just wanted to preface that before we get into it. I'm very, very thankful and grateful that you're here and just like so appreciative that you're willing to open up about your life um, to everybody that listens to this podcast. So thank you. Of course, of course. I, I just hope that what I can share will help maybe others who might be in a situation and they don't realize it to then kind of put two and two together. But um, as like, a little preference. I'm with my husband right now. He's great. I love him. This is about <laughs> yes. an ex-boyfriend. This is about an ex-boyfriend, like, couple years, not even a couple, like, a long time ago now, um, when I first started going to college is when I, I met him. Um, I was taking Spanish, his, like, Spanish for, like, a class rec- uh, recommendation or um, requirement. There you go. And he was like gentleman like he would sit next to me and we just like kind of talk and he would walk me to my car every day he would carry my books like you like picture perfect type gentleman what you see in the movies basically he was putting off that for me mm-hmm. and then it took him like I don't know a month to finally ask me to on a date on a date not even to be his girlfriend just on a date we would always just walk to my car have a conversation and leave for a whole month until he asked me on a date and by that time, I was like, I'm I'm all aboard this already because, like, I already like this guy. He's cute. Like, he's a gentleman. I've been looking for this my whole life. Like, this is great. Um, dates go, all the dates went well, became his girlfriend. And the first year was just bliss. Okay. Bliss. And he did share with me, he did have some um, mental disorders. He was bipolar. And I don't know if because of his bipolar disorder... He just didn't have a filter. He didn't really know what he was doing. But to me, it seemed like he knew exactly what he was doing. (laughs) But for a whole year, we were good. And then uh, by year two, he started showing these signs where it was kind of controlling. And he didn't like me hanging out with my friends. (laughs) And it it came to a part where it, like, got to my family. And he would get jealous or mad for me going to my parents' house and leaving his house to go to my parents' house and be with my family. And by this time this was happening, I wasn't like, I was completely like nothing was happening. I didn't realize it because I had, I already fell in love with him. Like he already made me fall in love with him. 
like within four months, he made me fall in love with him. Um, so I was very blind to these signs. And um, after that started happening, my friends started coming to me and they're like, Barbara, <laughs> what are you doing with this guy? Like, he seems kind of like controlling or not the kind of guy for you. Like, why are you with him? And at that time, I was just like, because I love him. He's great guy. He's such a gentleman. We have so much fun together. And yeah, it pretty much was left at that. And my friends didn't give up on me, but they just kind of like accepted because like I was too stubborn and hard headed to like really listen to what they had to say. Mm -hmm. And then the words started happening, which um, I didn't really, I didn't know anything about verbal abuse or mental abuse to be like, I only knew about domestic violence, like mm -hmm. hitting, you know, bruises, like that kind of violence. But there's this secret violence is uh, verbal abuse and mental abuse and how he kind of like started doing that to me. He started just calling me names and um, I just kind of like brushed it off because like, I didn't, I didn't care if he wanted to call me names. Like, I don't, I know that I'm not that kind of person. Were, were they in like the heat of a moment? Like, were they, would, did he resort to name calling like during an argument or like a specific thing that would trigger that? Is that like how it would yeah. play out? Yeah, it would definitely be like after an argument or like after I come home with friends, like he started like questioning me, like, are you cheating on me? You're slut. You're this, you're that. Like, what? Like, I don't, I didn't, I went to my girlfriend's house. I didn't even hang out with any guys. Like, I'm not cheating on you. And there, you have no right to call me a slut. And at the time, like at the beginning of it, I was strong enough to know that that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Like I knew I wasn't a slut and I wasn't these names he was calling me out of anger and then <laughs> um, it got to the point where, like, I somehow gave in and I didn't realize I did. So I kind of stopped hanging out with my friends. Um, my family didn't really see much of me uh, because like, I just I would get anxiety every time I would leave him, like separation anxiety, because I knew the minute I left that door, I would get a text 10 minutes later. Mm -hmm. When are you going to be home? What are you doing? Are you cheating on me? Like all this, like just random text messages. And then I would just like, God, I don't even want to go anywhere. I don't want to have fun. I don't want to do anything. I'm just going to mm -hmm. go back because like, I don't want to be like getting these constant text messages. And they were like constant. And like, he would just constant, consistently text me asking me when I was coming home. So like, I couldn't even have fun. Um, and then my parents started questioning and you would think I would finally see that this wasn't the kind of relationship I should have been in. But again, I was hard headed. And just, I didn't really see what was happening. And I just told him like, don't, you, you don't know him. You don't know him. I know him. He's a sweetheart. He's this, he's that. They knew him. Your parents know best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so with my mom saying like, hey, I don't think this is a relationship for you. That should have been a red flag right there. When my oh. friends started saying it, that should have been a red flag. Um, when he started calling me names, even though I was strong enough to take it at the first time, should have been a red flag. Mm-hmm. Because by the time he finally got me in his grasp, um, I was already so far in that, like, I started believing what he was calling me. Like, totally. I just, I believed that I was a bitch. I believed that he called me the C word. I don't say that word anymore. C-U-N-T. I yeah. don't like to say that word. No. And he used to call me that constantly. And that's so rude. Like, never call a woman that. Like, why would you even call a woman that? Um, and he would call me a slut. And he would just make comments about my body 
Like, mm-hmm. oh, you need to shave this. You need to shave that. You Definitely need to do this. Definitely have gotten those comments in my life. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, again, I was so blind. I didn't know what was happening. I've never been in a relationship like that. And I, I fell so hard for this dude that everything he was doing to me was just not being seen. Well, also, you were with him for a long time before this Mm -hmm. started coming to light. And I think that is something that needs to be considered here because, you know, it wasn't like you just met the guy and it had been a month and then all these horrible red flags came to light. It was, you know, some time had passed where you'd experienced a whole year with somebody, fell in love with them, had all these incredible memories, experiences, started thinking about the future. Like, it was a to you and... I mean, to you, it was like uh, you were developing something that would probably continue to grow and grow and grow into something really big. So when these behavior patterns start coming so deep into a relationship that's already kind of like created its uh, ground, you're you start questioning, like questioning it, but also like making excuses for it. Like it doesn't make sense. Well, why is he acting this way? And then you have to like come up with a list of reasons of like what could be causing it. And then you start questioning yourself. Is it really me? Am I doing the thing? And like you start questioning, like maybe you are the problem. And it's like this reverse gaslighting where you Mm -hmm. start thinking like, oh, wait, no, like now I'm gaslighting myself, telling myself that I'm the problem. And And then you also at the same time are hopeful that it will end because you want to have that relationship that you fell in love with. Mm -hmm. So there's this like desperation a little bit to hold on to it and hope that it gets better because you want to go back to when it was great and it wasn't like this. So I I feel like a lot of times people who have never gone through anything like this have the likelihood of saying like, well, why don't they leave? It's what like, that's what survivors get constantly. Why didn't they leave? Why didn't they say anything? And it ends up turning into like, shaming the person that survived the horrible experience because you're saying they should have ha- like taken control of the situation and left but at at the point of which you're at you're so emotionally and mentally twisted into like so much confusion and stress and sadness and emotional like you're 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 experiencing way too much at one point and none of it's making sense and so it's more common for us to stay in hopes that it will get better than like leave abruptly and then fear that like you didn't work it out because like this other thing that I keep feeling is like this pressure of like not all relations relationships are perfect they take work and it's like so is that working on it or are you leaving it too soon like there's just so much Mm -hmm. to think about yeah you can't just say one red flag we're out there's like Mm -hmm. time to like contemplate what's going on and process it all so I feel like you know since you had been with him for a whole year before this happened it's so much harder to walk away from that because you're so invested in it already Mm -hmm. and and it didn't constantly happen like it was like two weeks here three weeks there like he would constantly be on and off of his medication. So a lot of my thing is he's bipolar. It's mm-hmm. okay. You know, and I'm not saying that all bipolar disorder people have this tendency of being verbally abusive. I'm not saying that at all. Him is a special, he's a special case. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I started like making excuse. Oh, he's bipolar. I mean, I'm, it's fine. I can handle it because he was such a great guy. And we had all these like spans of good times where he didn't call me one single word. He would treat me like a queen, like, constantly just making me feel good and then all of a sudden he would 
push me down again. Like when I start feeling good about myself, he knocks me down again and starts calling me these names and starts doing this and starts doing that. So there was a point and I was with him for three years. So wow. There was a point in year two where I was just like, I, I can't take this anymore. He stopped. He didn't want to hang out with my family. He didn't want to hang out with my friends. And those two things were big for me. And every time that I would try to break up with him, he would threaten to kill himself. So me thinking bipolar disorder, I can't do this. Like mm-hmm. he is unstable right now. I don't want to do this to him. And like his mom was also bipolar and his sister and his brother, but his sister and his brother were like completely different. Um, his mom was a bit eh, off her rocker sometimes, but um, which this is a really sad thing. Um, she actually ended up ending her life. Oh, and like that. And it happened when we were still together. So oh, when he would no. threaten to kill himself. Yeah. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, what am I supposed to do with this? And then, I wouldn't break up with him because, like, I don't want to be the cause of something like that. That's awful. And that, like, hurt me, like, so much. And um, then I got to the point where he would break up with me every weekend. Every weekend he would break up with me. Don't know why, but he would break up with me every weekend. And then I'd be like, um, okay, like, why are we breaking up? I don't understand. Like, you're fine now. And then he would try to win me back like that following Monday or Tuesday. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I love you. I want to be with you. I want this. I want that. And you guys were living together, were you? No. Okay. Well, we thank God. Not, thankfully. <laughs> no. But I was at his house a lot yeah. because he wouldn't, he would not let me go home. Like he would make me feel guilty about going back to my house. So I, I lived with him at his yeah. parents' house. Yeah. His, his dad and his stepmom, angels. Love Were them. they witnessing this? Yeah, I would think so because he would yell at me in his room. Okay. But, like, I don't know if they, like, heard or if they yes, knew. Yes, they did. Like, yes, they did. But then why didn't they intervene? Listen, I literally just had this conversation with my therapist, <laughs> like, a couple weeks ago because I had a boyfriend who was an absolute horrific demon of a human. He, I mean in more ways than one, went out of his way to destroy me mentally and emotionally. And the same thing, like, he lived with his parents, so I was at his house all the time. And he had a great family. Like, these people were amazing. He had the sweetest, most loving, wholesome parents, great siblings. Like, siblings I was close with, had, like, a relationship with as, like, real friends. And... They witnessed, heard, saw, experienced countless amounts of emotional and verbal abuse, watching their son do it constantly. And this relationship was several years ago, but still today, I have so much like anger and resentment towards them because I feel and felt and still feel that they, it was their responsibility as parents to step in and intervene when their child was abusing another person in, in not behind closed doors. And yeah. they never did anything. They never offered support. They never helped. They never intervened. They watched it and allowed it for a very long time to the point that I basically had to tell them that, like, if they aren't going to do anything, I will be calling the police moving forward. 
And it wasn't until I threatened them that they finally started to intervene. And Mm. I've experienced this actually multiple times. And it's been years, years and years and years. But I still have this like anger towards them for that. And another thing that I think was part of the problem that I've brought up in therapy is that I, I feel that I was they looked at me as doing them a favor of entertaining their horrific human being so that he was my problem and not theirs mm-hmm. because he was just as abusive towards them in their household. Yeah. But if he was at my house or we were off doing something like I was a distraction that took him off their plate and allowed them a break of the drama because it was my problem now. So I honestly feel like they intentionally weren't intervening or helping out because it was easier for it to be my problem than for it to be theirs. And I'm still fucking pissed about that today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, I mean, you can only imagine what was going through their head too. But yeah, it's... I Okay, so when you asked me previously, and I said it too quickly, were you living with him? I wasn't living with him at that moment that I was talking about, but we mm-hmm. did end up moving in together when I first started going to CSUN, which was in 2012. What's CSUN? Cal State Northridge. Oh, okay. A school. Okay. Yeah. So we did live with each other for, I want to say, like six months okay. um, before I finally was able to end things. And that's like, that's a great story to tell. But um, yeah, we, we actually lived together. And then when we lived together, and I think that's what got me the strength to leave, I really started to like feel very like anxious and stressed and just like not good. The whole time, like my smile changed, my eyes changed, like everything about my appearance changed and I didn't look happy in pictures or anything like it's, I still look back at those pictures when I thought I looked happy. Mm-hmm. No, I, dead in the eyes. I was dead, like done. Um, my soul was sucked out of my, my being. Like I did not have any soul anymore. I was a hollow shell, like just going at it, going by it, like just le- like taking it, whatever. My whole like being was just hollow and when I started like getting drawn out and starting feeling depressed and like realizing like I don't have friends to talk to I don't have my mom to talk to I don't have anybody I felt very um isolated Isolated. yeah and um that's when I'm just like oh god this needs to this needs to end I don't know how I'm gonna end it because again he would threaten to kill himself every time I needed to end it um but um 2012 is when I I joined my sorority, like pretty soon after we started school, I joined a sorority and he was surprisingly supportive about that, which is weird after everything I've dealt with. Um, So I joined the sorority and I started talking to my sisters about it and they're like, Barbara, you need to like, you need to get out. And since it was such a new group, I'm like, yeah, like I hear you. I now hear this. Mm -hmm. I do need to get out. So they would kind of like help me escape. Um, my other classmates in my geology department, one in particular, her name is Casey. I love her to death. Um, when I had a particularly bad fight with him where he called me names and I was just like shaking, I was crying. I called or Casey called me or I called her and she's like, I'm coming to pick you up. I'm like, okay, sounds good. She's like, but I live in the dorms and they don't allow visitors after this time. I was like, okay, so how are we going to do this? She's like, well, we're going to put you in my back seat. We're going to put blankets over you and we're going to sneak you into the dorms and you're going to stay the night. And I said, okay, (laughs) 
I laid at the floor of her back seat with blankets and stuff on top of me and got snuck into the dorms and slept at her house that night. And that I think saved me because like it was really bad. I don't, I don't know what would have happened if I stayed. He was starting to get um, very uh, angry where he would throw things and it was started to becoming more physical. He never hit me, but he would start throwing things out of anger and yeah, I had, I had to get out. So, um, yeah, we lived together for six months Ugh. and that was like eye opening for sure. Like signed a lease and like moved in furniture and shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but luckily I was able to get out of it <laughs> clearly. Cause I am married to like the best man in the whole wide world. But yeah, like if it wasn't for my classmates in geology and my sisters in my sorority, Um, I don't know where I would be, honestly. Like, I have no clue where I would be because it was bad. Like, I don't even know if I can touch base on how bad it was with what I'm saying to you in this podcast. Like, I I don't think I can relay how bad it was. It's it's more of like a, you just have to experience it to know. (laughs) Well, also, I feel like there's this extra element of like, betrayal that you're also experiencing on top of the yelling and the screaming and the name calling in the throwing of things there's this like added layer of like a like a broken trust betrayal heartbreak that's like can hit deeper than you know a cuss word and so that's just like the loud noise but there's like bigger damage being done that's very very serious and difficult to process and deal with and so that's like the part that's difficult to express to people because it's a feeling and there's nobody that could like explain what that felt like other than you experiencing it in those moments like you can't describe that in words because it's just like horrible pain I'm curious though like I know you'd mentioned that he didn't want you hanging out with friends or seeing family was he like have like continuing relationships on his own? Like, was he hanging out with friends or like, or was he also isolating himself with you? Like, did he just want it to be you two peas in a pod isolated yeah. as one? Yeah, because he, I mean, he did have friends before me. Um, but like when we started dating, I don't think he st- like was hanging out with those friends anymore. Um, and then we, when we moved in together, we did have roommates. His, his best friend, Ryan, the only person um he like stayed connection with uh and his girlfriend lived with us oh wow another couple Mm-hmm. yeah oh, and, but these fights wouldn't happen when they're home though Got so it. he was very strategic oh yeah when to bring it up because we were living in an apartment together so it's when they were gone that mm-hmm. these fights like he would wait for yeah. them to go to like have these fights and just like he would randomly just start bringing them up random like i don't even know what the cause or the topic was like, I could be sitting on the couch and he all of a sudden he just starts this argument and I yeah. don't know why. <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, when you finally ended it and we're moving out and, like, finding, like, your power and mm-hmm. your confidence of, like, stepping away from this and, like, recognizing how bad it was and that you needed more. Like, how did you present that conversation? Like, was that – was it – because I know oftentimes when people are in – abusive relationships i'm speaking from experience Mm -hmm. 
it's rarely it's rare that like you sit down and have this very adult conversation or like it's not working out we should split you know go our own ways and handshake like a lot of times they're they're like uh they occur as a response of some like dramatic episode in the relationship like is that how it happened for you or no surprisingly um it was very much uh understanding like i went to him and I think it maybe might've been part of one of his good times uh-huh. where like, I went to him, I'm like, look, this isn't working. I don't feel happy. I need to move on. Like we need to go our separate ways, find ourselves as separate people first, and then maybe revisit this whole idea because like, I couldn't just flat out be like, I'm done because mm-hmm. he would freak out. So like, it was more of like a gradual thing. So mm-hmm. like I would, I had that conversation with him and gradually we started parting. He got his own apartment. I started living with my sisters, but we'd still see each other. Mm-hmm. We'd still have like our times where I'd like I would stay with him for a little bit, mm-hmm. but then go back to my own house. And that was good. Um, it was really good when he got his own apartment. He just got like a studio. And when that happened, I think he started realizing like, okay, maybe this is for the best Mm -hmm. like he did have his moments where he's like I'm gonna kill myself but again like I I we did it so gradually that I would when he had those like moments I would go over to his house talk to him see how he's doing explain to him again why this isn't working and how ending his life wouldn't make anything better Mm -hmm. (laughs) and yes just some all of a sudden it we stopped seeing each other like it was so gradual that like one day we didn't see each other. And from that day on, we never saw each other again. Wow. Yeah. So I think the way that he handled it was really great. Um, like he, under everything that he put me through, like he is a, he is a good guy sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he sometimes has like the right, like a good intention, yeah. I guess. Um, but definitely a majority of the time is not very good. I'm curious, like, I don't know if this ever came up when you guys were dating, but did he ever, because, okay, so side note, I, I'm like, one of my hobbies in life is studying mental health. Like, literally, I do, like, ridiculous amounts of research on, like, narcissistic abuse, and, like, mm-hmm. I'm just obsessed with the whole mental health thing. Like, I'm in therapy myself. I'm always trying to, like, educate myself on, lots of stuff in this realm and so in things I've read and learned about like they say that like one of the red flags when you meet a guy is hearing how they talk about their exes because if all he ever does is say every person he's ever dated was a disaster monstrous elephant or whatever then like that's kind of like an indicator that this is a person that probably can't take accountability of themselves, like isn't capable of seeing where their witnesses or responsibility might have been in the ending of a relationship and only ever putting fault and blame on other people. So I'm just like curious if you ever noticed anything like that with him. He never talked about his girlfriends. He never talked about his exes. Like we never, ever talked about who he dated. So I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's an awkward conversation. You don't yeah. like start dating. You're like, all right, let's now go from this person. to I want the whole history and da, da, da. like you don't really do that. Mm-mm. Um, no, but that's interesting. Yeah. So I didn't have any like yeah. clues about how he treats women. And by that time, like 
I grew. So mm-hmm. there is some positives to this. Like I will always like that mental and verbal abuse will always be a part of my life. It will always be a part of me. That is what made me who that that is what shaped me into the woman I am today because now I know the signs and I'm a lot stronger and like I have I have a better way of like wording things like in arguments and stuff. I don't yell anymore because like I hate being yelled at. And in that relationship we were constantly yelling at each other. So in this, like in my marriage, like I don't yell, like I try not to yell at my husband because I know what it does to me and how it makes me feel. And I'm not going to do that to him. So like it made me grow as a woman and become stronger in a sense um, with the experience that I went through. Like I, as horrible as it was, I would not change it because I wouldn't be who I am today. Like I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be with my husband who treats me so well Mm -hmm. because of that relationship. Like I knew what I was looking for directly after that relationship. I knew what I was looking for. And my husband just like, he filled in all those, like literally like within a year of us breaking up, he filled in all those, those check boxes. So So I'm curious, like you went through this very devastating relationship and it ended like how, like, did you, what did your like healing process look like after that? Like you were on your own, you're in the sorority. Like how did you start kind of like healing and rebuilding all that was like broken? So a big part of it was, um, my best friend at the time I was living with her, um, her and I would have conversations at night and she, she was going to school to be a therapist. So she like listened to me and she always had the right things to say. She always knew what to say. And um, she, like, it seemed like she always like understood me and what I went through, even though she may have not ever gone through anything like that. But um, she helped me a lot and we still are best friends. She was in my wedding. I, I constantly talk to her. I love her to death. Um, let's see. Also, uh, I want to say about a year after I did go to therapy, I started going to see um, a psychiatrist, not a psychiatrist, a therapist. Yeah. I think it was a therapist. So like I talked to Kaiser. I was with Kaiser at the time and they got me together with this therapist. I I honestly cannot even remember her face. Like she is like a blob to me. (laughs) Like (laughs) I wish I can remember her face because she helped me so much. But like when I look back at like that room, I can, I can picture the room, Uh but the person I'm talking to literally has no face. (laughs) So (laughs) that's how bad I was. Like I was bad. (laughs) Like I just would talk. (laughs) But, like, she helped me out a lot. Um, I talked about what he did to me. Um, I talked about the experiences I had. I also talked about previous um, things that I went through even before him. Like, I hate to say it, but, like, like, a lot of women, I was raped. So I had that also. But, like, somehow that experience got, like, blacked out. Yeah. Until I started going to the therapist. And I was just like, shit. (laughs) That has been buried so far into my like soul that I oh, just yeah. completely, or my brain, I would say, I completely forgot about that experience. But like the therapist, like when she would ask questions, like, why are you anxious sexually? Why is this? Why is that? I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is why. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was, um, yeah, th- therapy. <laughs> totally. It kind of peeled back those layers, like things that I shoved so far deep into my subconscious. (laughs) Absolutely. And like, you know, on a personal note for myself, like when I started going to therapy following that horrifically abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. 
like one of the questions that I had to ask myself was like, why did I allow this to happen to me? Um, because one of the biggest like eye openers was that um, my boyfriend actually left me. And when he did, I was like completely and utterly devastated to be left by him, which made absolutely no sense because he was a fucking monster. And so I had to like and I mourned that for months. Like I was unwell and like mourning the loss of him for like mm-hmm. probably five months of my life. And I had to like look at myself and say like, what are you mourning? Like this is like a blessing. Like this is the best thing that could have ever happened to you. The fact that you're so devastated by it is a problem. And we need to understand why you want to be attached to somebody that hurts you mm-hmm. because there's something happening there that's like not yeah. not good and not okay. And yeah. it was in the therapy that I addressed this was like, this is why I'm here. I need to understand why I want to be abused by my partner. Like, why did, why am I choosing that? And it all boiled into me growing up in a household with like alcoholism and verbal abuse and emotional abuse being the norm mm-hmm. with everybody in the household. Yeah. It was our every, it was our lives for mm-hmm. years. And so that was something that I'd only ever known my whole life. So when I was in this partnership and it was exactly the same, it was just like being home. Yeah. And I completely understand that because my growing up is the same way. Like my dad would just constantly yell at me and make me feel like I'm not good enough. So like that was already kind of all in me. Like that experience was already a part of me. So then I think when this started happening, it seemed normal because like I, my dad would yell at me all the time and not make me feel like I was good enough all the time. So this is normal, (laughs) but it's not, it's not. I love my dad. Don't get me wrong. I love him, but we definitely butt heads when we when I was growing up and he didn't handle it well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I just think that, like, therapy is great for a number of reasons. But, you know, a lot of the times things that we're not always as conscious of are things that have greatly impacted us emotionally and subconsciously that cause a lot of the root problems that we deal with in the present. And so, you know, a lot of the times we go through life, like, trying to figure out the present, the now, what just happened, why did it happen, how do I fix it, da 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 But so much of, like, that understanding exists in the experiences of the past, and it takes, like, it, I mean, therapy is a painful experience because you're forced to yeah. literally, like, throw salt in open bloody wounds over and over and over again, and that's the requirement of like getting through the trauma is experiencing it and revisiting it and like analyzing it and processing it, which often doesn't happen, especially when things occur to you as children or when you're too young and it's, you know, you're not fully developed or aware of like how horrible the world works and those things just happen and they get stored away and then they, they, come out in other ways whether you're the one that's hurting people or you're now the one that's accepting the hurt Mm -hmm. and it's just like you know there's like that common phrase of like hurt people hurt people also hurt people allow other people to hurt them it's just like this ongoing cycle and like so much of that 
can be like prevented or helped or resolved through therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm so glad I went. I finally gained the courage. And like, I started going to therapy after I started dating my husband mm-hmm. um, because I told him straight up when we started dating what I went through and he accepted me damaged goods and all like who I was. And he dealt with my anxieties. I, I say dealt, but like, you know, he loved me. So mm-hmm. of course he's going to be okay with my anxieties and try to figure out a way to help. But um, he was so like, I was, it was because of him that I was like, I'm going to therapy because I want to fix this relationship. I want to focus on this relationship. I want to be a better person for this relationship. Mm -hmm. I don't want who I was in the other relationship Mm -hmm. to affect this one because this one is beautiful and I would hate to kill it. Mm -hmm. Like I do not want to kill something so beautiful. And, um, he was very supportive, uh, with me going to therapy and every time I'd come back, he would say, Oh, how was it? What'd you guys Mm -hmm. talk about? So yeah, he... Yeah, he's great. I love him. (laughs) Oh, well, that's amazing. I mean, it's fantastic that like, well, okay. so one thing I've also read about and learned about and heard about is that for people, man, woman, whoever, to like grow themselves, to develop further, to like learn the things that trigger them or hurt them and be able to like learn, like experience those things process them, learn from them, and grow from them. Like, in order for that to happen, especially in romantic relationships, you have to be in a relationship with a person that will aid that growth, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. continue to hurt it. So, like, let's just say after this abusive relationship you were in, you dated somebody different who wasn't verbally abusive or wasn't whatever, but was immature or whatever, whatever the case may be. Like, even though they weren't abusive towards you, they still could have had things about them that prevented, that weren't fully aiding you in your own development. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes it can take a while to move on and find the right partner for you because you have to be lucky enough to find the right partner that is able to aid you in your growth process. Yeah. And the fact that you found it, like... (laughs) Like that is yeah. like Jesus, guardian angels were looking after you, girl. Yeah, he was always there though. That's the funny thing. As even when I was in this relationship, um, it's like when we moved in together was 2012, and that's when I started my schooling for geology. And my husband was also a geology major, and it's a very small department, so he was always there. Mm-hmm. And he constantly tells me to this day, like I wanted to be with you that day, like the first day I met you, I knew I wanted to be with you. So we didn't start dating until two years after. Oh, wow. We met. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's crazy that he's just always been there. Freaking high five and cheers to you finding a great guy to marry and to just like turn around that rom- that idea of romantic relationships that you had to go through. Like, it's so amazing that you get to like treat that as a not so great chapter in your life, but like the ones after it have Mm -hmm. brought you so much more happiness and clarity and what a relationship should be. And so it's amazing that you're like, this is the rest of the book. And that was just shitty chapter number one. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I mean, my husband, he accepts me with who I am because when we were going, when we were going to school together, we'd go camping and he would literally see me in dirt and no makeup, hair up in a messy bun, like not trying to impress anybody. And he still thought I was beautiful. So it's like, 
in order to have a good relationship with a man, he needs to just accept all of you. Mm-hmm. All of you. The bad, the good, the ugly. If you have issues, you know, mentally, like it, you, he needs to accept all of you and be there. <laughs> because if he's not, then it's like it's going to not benefit that relationship at all. <laughs> so. Um, so I guess like I wanted ask you a couple of questions primarily for the listeners because I'm kind of guessing that there are people listening who have gone through that are going through it are maybe new to dating and like are just navigating this horrific dating world that we live in today which is a disaster like I guess like I know we kind of like talked about red flags but just as like an overall overview like yeah. what what would you say are like some key things yeah, that yeah, we yeah. should be like keeping in the forefront of our mm-hmm. brains so my personal experience my red flags because of the who I am I am very much I love my friends I love my family I'm very family oriented I am a social butterfly um the red flags that I should have noticed was him not letting me hang out with my friends. Uh, asking why. All right, why do you want to hang out with your friends? Why do I want to hang out with my... They're my friends. <laughs> like, there is no answer. They're my friends. And then um, him not wanting to do anything. Because um, when we first started dating, we would do a lot of things. We would go to dates. We would go out. We would go for walks. We would just ha- have fun. All of a sudden, that stopped. Um, and then the biggest, biggest, biggest one for me personally, was when he started cutting me off from my family. When I went home. What does that look like? Like, like, can you describe like an example of that? Yeah. So I lived with my parents at the time. Um, He lived just up the street, not too far from me. Um, I would constantly be at his house because when I wasn't at his house, he would constantly ask where I am or why I'm not with him. Um, And then when I would go back with my family and stay with them and like do things with my family, he would ask why, like, why do you need to go do this with them? Why do you need to do that with them? And he would never do it with me. So like, I would say, Oh, my family wants to do this activity. You should come. He would say no, but you can go. I would go. And then he would text me. When are you going to be back? What are you doing with my family? Yeah. (laughs) Like, he never wanted to hang out with my family either. That was another, that should have been another red flag because like he knew that I was family oriented. Like my mom is my best friend. Mm-hmm. I tell her everything. And I stopped telling her everything because she didn't agree with the situation that I was in, which rightfully so. <laughs> but yeah, like he would not, he would not let me hang out with my family. He would not want to go to places with my family. He wouldn't go to dinner with my family. He wouldn't come over ever like I would have to go to his house constantly so yeah you know what I think that is um I feel like like because I the guy I dated was the same way uh, mm-hmm. never wanted anything to do with my family literally canceled on Christmas Eve the minute we were leaving the house like oh, I'm not going anymore <laughs> I feel like a large part of that is if they were to expose themselves to your loved ones, they might be seen as what they really are and inf- you would then be informed of what they really are. Yeah, like like see right through them. Yeah, and, and it's exactly what happened because he did come to my family's house when we first started dating. One night he came and it was like a party at my parents' house because my parents would always have parties. 
great time. Um, <laughs> it was a party at my parents' house and he came. And after that time, he never came again, ever. Like, and that was in the first year of us dating. And I thought it was a fun night. Like we had drinks, we had a good time. He got to know my mom a little bit, who's my best friend. He got to kind of talk to my dad, which he can be a little intimidating. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if my dad intimidated him and kind of made him not want to be around mm -hmm. because my dad probably saw through what he was doing yeah. <laughs> or who he was. And the funny thing is, is that like they did, yeah. but I didn't do anything about it. I didn't accept it. I didn't agree mm -hmm. with them. Like I would constantly be, a pu it would be pushing back. Like you don't know him. You don't understand him. Well, yeah, but also, like, when you're in love with somebody, you don't really want to hear somebody tell you that they suck. Like, yeah. you're kind of offended by that. Like, I was no, very offended, like, which I shouldn't a, have been. <laughs> I know, but, and yes, but, like, really, though, like, if you're somebody who's dating this person and you're in love with them and you're living this great life and da-da-da, and you're like, I want to introduce you to my family, and they're like, he sucks, we don't like him, red flags, you're kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, it's common to be like taken aback by that reaction like it, it's something you have to like really warm up to and like think about and like try to figure out okay why do they feel that way but right off the bat like it's you're just kind of like well screw you you know it's and that's another thing like as you grow and you get older in life we aren't we aren't children anymore so we don't always have to do what our parents think you know what I mean? And yeah. there's that element of like, oh, well, I'm an adult now. I can choose who I'm with. Like, I get to choose who I spend my life with. You can have an opinion on that. But like, that doesn't mean that your opinion is going to dictate what I do or don't do. Mm -hmm. So there's that other element of kind of like becoming an adult and having this real relationship, you know, and wanting to own it and like run it yourself without, you know, all the chit chat that's happening around you. Learn by doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's like, that's my motto. I, I, I That's how I've lived my whole life is mm -hmm. learn by experience. Bad experience. Don't ever do that again. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've learned. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, one other red flag I just want to throw in for myself for anybody that's listening is one thing that happened to me and I read about all the time is the love bombing that mm. narcissistic men or women tend to do at the start of a relationship, which happened to me. And if you aren't familiar with that term, it basically means that your partner with like in the quickest of time possible mm -hmm. is already just like drowning you in love and attention and gifts and parties and money and like telling you that they're in love with you and like the first couple of weeks of knowing you and we can't ever be apart and like dropping everything in their lives to be with you 24 seven and then expecting you to do the same. That was something that my partner did in my relationship upon meeting him. And I remember when it was happening thinking like, oh my God, I've never met a guy that liked me so much before. This is amazing. Oh my God, this is so cool. Like he's wanting me to come here and like, all these things like I was meeting his parents like week one of meeting him like there was just so much stuff that like right now obviously was strange but in the moment I thought it was flattering yeah. I was like flattered by his interest because especially in like today's day and age with online dating and swiping right and left like it's really difficult to find somebody that will even give you the time of day in our dating culture now I mean, yeah. you could be talking to a guy for a week and think, like, this is really panning out, and then he's gone. <laughs> like, so 
I was, and I'd experienced that. I'd been online dating for a while. So it was very out of the norm for me to meet somebody in the real world. I met this person at my gym and for them to have immediate interest in me to the point where I was like, I actually feel safe for once. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm about to get ghosted or left for a different girl on Tinder. And I was like comfortable where I was like, oh my God, I'm actually feeling really secure with this guy. This is amazing. Um, News flash, it was not. He was a complete <laughs> monster. But yeah. that's another sign that people tend to bring up in terms of red flags of emotionally abusive men is the love bombing. And mm-hmm. it you'll know you'll know it's happening to you within like the first two weeks of dating somebody. Yeah, and it's funny when you say that because like that definitely was the first year. Like we I think we said he lo- I love you to, to each other like within two months of yeah. like dating. And he always wanted me to be around his family. And we had family dinners with his family, not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like completely red flag. Another red flag. I mean, it's funny that I didn't say this besides keeping you from your friends and keeping you from your family. A man should never call you a name, a derogatory name. Mm-mm. He should never call you a slut, a bitch, the C word that I'll never say. Like he should never Mm -hmm. call you that because he calls you that that is not love Mm -mm. you're not going like what yeah no that is not love (laughs) so that's that's a main red flag but Mm -hmm. by the time that red flag started happening I was already too far deep like into it like my soul was already gone well (laughs) and that happens through love bombing you know Mm -hmm. it's like it's an actual tactic that I mean, I don't know if these people strategically, like, write out, like, a brief of how I'm going to, like, completely, like, manipulate this person. Whether they are conscious of it or not conscious of it, typically the process is some form of love bombing, whether that's in a month or a year, so that you have, like, fully encapsulated this person into your life and kind of, like, dug your claws into them so that they, like, trust you and commit to you and believe that this is, like, a real thing for a long-term future. And then once you feel secure, once they feel secure in that experience, now's the time to rip the Band-Aid and start implementing a psychological warfare of these ups and downs on a total emotional roller coaster where there's the good the bad the good the bad the really good the really horrible and it's up and down up and down and you become trained to participate in this cycle and you know the bad is so horrible and it's so devastating and you're at the lowest of lows and then he turns around with the greatest happiness forgiveness we're together in this forever and now you're as high as high can get And you love that feeling of high. So when you get back down to that low, 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 you're ready to get back to the high again. Mm -hmm. And it never ends. No. You know, and I don't know if this is a good analogy, but it's kind of like, have you ever done like an obstacle course? Like Mm -hmm. where it hurts, like it's hard. You have to go through that obstacle course and you have to just like bang yourself, get electrocuted like those Spartan races or whatever. Yeah. You're hurting yourself. But at the end, you get a medal. Mm -hmm. So it's all good. It's all fine. (laughs) Like I said, I wouldn't change this relationship for anything. Like, it made me who I am. After that relationship, I literally only dated two guys. One of them is my husband. So, like, I knew what I was looking for. I knew exactly what I was looking for. And it was because of that relationship. So, like, thank you. Yeah, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. As cliche as it sounds, huge learning lesson. Things you learned about yourself, what you learned about what you want in life, what you learned about what you wanted in a partner. Like, Maybe you would have never had even had the opportunity to even think about those things if you didn't experience the bad of the bad. 
Yeah, exactly. But it happened, and it happened. I'm here now, and I'm enjoying my life in oh, white yeah. country with a beautiful, a beautiful relationship and a great husband. <laughs> cheers to that! Yes, cheers. I'm gonna do a little <laughs> ASMR wine pour. Oh, I have this. Um, <laughs> This like Corvin thing, so I don't know what the ASMR would be for me sticking the Corvin into the cork. <laughs> oh, because you can recork it. Yeah. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, I love it. It's like, oh, hold on. I don't know if this is good ASMR. <laughs> oh, oh shit. Okay, hold on. I need a tutorial on what I'm witnessing right now. How is this happening? I feel like we're in the future. What is this invention? It's Aragon gas. So what happens is they, it produces, it shoots Aragon, Aragon, I say Aragon, Ar Argon, I don't know how, I say Aragon. It shoots that gas into the wine bottle so Through that- the cork? Yeah, and in the, the needle. <laughs> that was some good ASMR. <laughs> the needle, I, you can't see in this, but um, is very fine and very pointy. So it will just- do a little tiny hole into the cork. And since it's so small, the cork reseals itself. Okay, wait. So you never even take the cork out ever? Mm-mm. You shoot a needle through the cork into the bottle and it mm -hmm. collects the wine and pours it into the glass. Yes. And, and it, re <laughs> it, it replaces the bottle with Aragon gas. Argon. Argon. I'm going to be bothered now. Is it Argon or well Aragon? I have no idea. Is this like a brand or an element? Like, what are we it's even talking element, about? It's an element, I think it's argon. Um, it, it puts it into the bottle so it replaces the oxygen because oxygen is no good for wine. Like, you do not want wine to... That's why you can only have a wine bottle open for three days tops because the oxygen will go into the bottle and it changes the, the properties of the wine, basically. So what Corvin does is it replaces that empty space with argon gas... So that oxygen doesn't come in and then you can literally just have a glass without opening the bottle and the bottle is still good for months on end. Like you Whoa. don't have to drink the whole bottle within three days. Okay, this is yep. exactly why I called you a wine connoisseur at the start of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you come through with this invention on the podcast? Like what the hell? Oh god, it is, and it's kind of like a new thing. Um, it's actually starting to be a big thing in the wine country, especially in tasting rooms. There's different... Um, uh, models, I guess you can say. So there's the pivot, which is the one that most of the tasting rooms are using. And that one does keep the bottle fresh a little bit longer, but it doesn't do exactly what mine does. So it doesn't, it's not going to last for months on end, but it's perfect for the wine tasting rooms because they don't have to make sure that they use the whole bottle within three days. That is so genius. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I'm just like, so what... Totally side note, like, do you, when did this get invented? Do we know? You know, this is a new thing. I think it started becoming a thing last year. So what were the wineries doing before this thing existed? Opening bottles and just pouring it. Like, well, take yeah, the I, mean, out. I guess it's, like, rare that you, like, are doing wine tasting and, like, don't kill off a whole bottle. Yeah. Because you yeah. probably just drink the rest of it yourself anyway, if there was yeah. leftovers. Yeah. Hmm. Beauty's about working at a wine tasting room, you do get the leftovers. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh my God, that is so interesting. I need to know more about that device. I yeah. need to look this up. And It's amazing. It's perfect for the, if you're the only wine drinker in your house, it just, it's so much better because you literally can just enjoy glass and not worry about it. Will it work for champagne? 
No, but they, there is, um, they do have a cork. Corvin actually, I think has a cork for champagne. To like, like a keep specific it carbonated and like fresh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is like my annoyance with champagne is because I love it, but I'm, I can't kill, like I cannot drink a whole bottle to myself and my boyfriend won't drink it. So if like I'm at the home, like having like a glass or something, like mm-hmm. it, it'll go bad. Like, I mean, maybe I can get through one more day, but like, it's just never as good. And then I feel guilty about opening it and wasting it. And so yeah. I've been thinking like, how the hell do I get to drink champagne over the course of a couple of days without it going bad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a special cork for it. Okay. So oh. that it will kind of keep it a bit fresher and it the bubbles will stay. And wh- where do I long. find this cork on the internet? <laughs> Uh, I would say just look into Corvin, and it's C-O-R-A-V-I-N. <laughs> All right. I will be purchasing this tonight. Yeah. And it's wor- <laughs> it's kind of pricey, but it's worth the money. Trust me. Trust so me. So cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we head on out of here, I want to give you the opportunity to, like, talk about anything that we missed or anything that, like, you just want to reiterate of importance. Any last words for the listeners? before we get into our final question of the evening. Yeah, so I guess for our for your listeners, if they feel that they are might be in a mentally abusive relationship, a verbally abusive relationship and they're just not sure, they can always reach out to me. I know a ton of people who did when I did share my story on my um stories on Instagram. I shared my story on stories on Instagram a while back ago, and I did get a lot of replies of women saying, oh, hey, you know, this kind of sounds like what I'm going through. He does this, this, and this. Is this, you know, indicative of what you went through? Um, Is this the kind of relationship that I should be in? So if anybody is ever, and I don't mean just women, men too, because like, I know you don't hear a lot about men being mentally and verbally abused or even physically abused, but it does happen. So women and men, if they feel that they're in that kind of relationship, feel free to reach out to me, ask me questions. I am an open book. I will try my hardest to like help guide you if it is the kind of relationship that I was in, or if it's not, like I'll just do my best to just answer the questions and help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. I love it. It. I And that's the whole point, you know, like the whole point of this podcast is for you to be able to share your story and offer support to the women out there that are listening and also create like an element of sisterhood where through that storytelling experience and through the listener experience, we're kind of all united as one or at least able to understand each other better, feel less alone about the things we go through, and also feel like you have more of a support system. Because like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, not everybody speaks up about what they go through and not everybody feels comfortable speaking up about what they go through. But hopefully in like this space and this dynamic, people get the opportunity to tell it and to hear it and I hope it just like creates a energetic bond that we are all here living on this planet and we can help each other and we can get through life easier as a support system so again thank you so much and I really hope that people reach out to you if they want to say hello talk to you about what you went through, chat with you about what they're going through, um, because that's what that's what this is all about. So and also wine recommendations. If you oh, want wine duh. Recommendations. If anybody out there drinks alcohol in general, you need to follow Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, okay, well, the last question I ask everybody, just to stay on theme over here, is like, what does sisterhood mean to you? So I never had a sister. So um, my sisters, quote unquote, were my close family friends, um, people who weren't blood related, but were with me since I grew up. And basically, to sisterhood to me in that case is just them always being there for you, um, no matter what you're going through. I remember a night I was having a really particularly hard night. I did not want to go out. My girlfriends wanted to go party. There's a house party going on. And I'm like, you know what, guys, you know, I'm just not feeling it. Like, I'm not. And they're like, no, Barbara, come on, let's go. I'm like, mm, no, not tonight. They knocked on my door and stayed in with me and watched movies, Disney movies, and drank wine or any kind of alcohol and just sat with me because I was having a particularly high anxiety, a little depressing kind of day. Yeah. So like they gave up their partying for me to just sit on the couch with me and be with me. Also, um, especially with the relationship that I was in and the experience I was going through, my sisterhood with my sorority, they were like a net. So like when I just could not bear the weight anymore, when I couldn't handle it anymore, when I just started breaking down, I literally just jumped back and they were there and they caught me. Mm -hmm. They were there. They offered their places for me to stay. They talked to me. They stayed up with me. They would come over to my house, even though that guy did not want them there. They would come to my house and just be with me. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's sisterhood to me. Just you can always count on them mm -hmm. no matter what. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for telling your story, for offering up so much information that I have no doubt will be beneficial for everybody that's listening. And also just let people remember that like life isn't always beautiful and we go through hard things, but we also can get out of them and we can end up in greater more beautiful places than we could have ever imagined and that's exactly what happened to you so yeah. <laughs> thank you so much also i want you to tell everybody how they can stay in touch with you whether that's like on social media or if you have a website or if they want to follow along on your wine journeys like where can they find you in the world wide web and how can they stay in touch with you yeah so instagram is the best place because um, I'm always on it. My Instagram handle is Barbara Barb with the little underscore. Is that, is that how you yeah. say it? Underscore. I was, I was saying underscroll. My husband was like, babe, it's underscore. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. But anyways, it's Barbara Barb underscore. Um, I talk mostly about wine there, but feel free to reach out to me there. Um, I am doing a little bit of changes to my Instagram because I want to do more so like lifestyle stuff and mm -hmm. like. I want to be an ally to the wine industry and not just like an influencer, mm -hmm. I guess. Totally. Because like I'm always dubbed an influencer, but I, I don't, I'm not an influencer. I'm not, I don't influence. <laughs> I drink wine <laughs> and I tell you where to go to have great wine. Yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can reach me there and you can talk about me uh, to me about anything on that. And I used to have a website. I just don't anymore because it was a blog and I just stopped writing. Yeah. Do you have a YouTube? Um, I do for my Beyond the Barrels account, uh, Beyond the Barrel account, which is a video series that I started last summer. Um, but it's very small, so I guess it would be Beyond the Barrel. Um, I don't know exactly what the YouTube is actually. 
It's so cool. You should absolutely be telling everybody about your YouTube channel. Because, <laughs> like, the videos are so awesome. I'm like, this shit is fucking, like, legit. I think I even told you one time, I think you're, like, coming in on a Jeep or something. I'm like, I feel like you're entering the gates of Love Island. Like, this <laughs> feels, and it did. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is so cool. Like, yeah. how rad is that? Is that, like, fun? Like, or is it nerve-wracking? Like, what do you no, think about fun. that? No, it's a lot of fun. I have so much fun. Um... In this, in the Beyond the Barrel series that I was, uh, that I started last summer, since it's still new, um, I got to meet a lot of really cool people in the wine industry and learn about the history of their winery and what got them to be where they are now. Yeah. So that was really cool. So yeah, that's that's my YouTube is just Beyond the Barrel. Cool. Well, I'll tag, <laughs> I'll link everything in the episode description, um, so they can oh, find it easy. I think it's Beyond the Barrel series. Okay. Because there is another Beyond the Barrel, and it's a whiskey. Oh, thing, interesting. Which is great. I mean, yeah. if whiskey is more your thing, there is a web, there is a YouTube called Beyond the Barrel and it's about whiskey. <laughs> well, you know what? We're on the wine. There are winos here. So yeah. we'll be looking up you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. Super appreciate you being here. So excited we get to meet in real life via video, have a real conversation. Um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It was super fun. I was nervous and now I'm not. Right? I told you you wouldn't be. It only takes about five minutes and a glass of wine and we're good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. If you can think of one person out there in the world that would truly benefit from this episode... Be sure to send it over to them. Sharing is caring and it could be a huge impact in showing a loved one that you support them. Don't forget to subscribe to Mimosa Sisterhood on your favorite podcast player so you can receive new episodes to your phone the exact moment they drop. And if you haven't left us a review yet, be sure to swing by Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating. And if you're feeling extra friendly, a written review would mean the absolute world and it's one of the greatest ways for us to attract new listeners that didn't even know we exist. Thank you guys again for listening to the show and I'll see you in two weeks for some history shit. Bye. Bye.